Hello, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you today. We are in a fight for our families. And those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ believe that because God is for us and not against us, we can actually win this fight. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway or watching online. So if you are in with this, I'm going to invite you. If you're sitting next to a member of your family, grab hands with them. If you're single uh, and you're sitting next to someone you know, uh, grab hands with them. And let's shout out together. We got this week and next week and that's it to declare uh, what Joshua declared to the people of Israel in chapter 24, verse 15 of the book that bears his name. I'm going to put it on the screen. Shout it out with all you got. Ready? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, way to go. So Roseanne, my wife, her birthday is on February the 14th, which also happens to be, and I cannot think of a better person on the planet Uh, for her birthday to fall on the day of love. It's so appropriate. And it's a bittersweet experience for me. Uh, Sweet uh, because uh, I get a two-for-one kind of thing, you know. Uh, Men struggle with good ideas to give their wives for, for gifts, and so I get to sort of bundle the two things together. But it's bitter because it has to be doubly good. It has to be doubly, doubly good. And so uh, uh, one, uh, one uh, well, a number of years ago, uh, uh, we, I, I got really, really busy, and I came uh, up to the day before her birthday, February the 13th, and I had nothing. I had nothing, and I was in panic mode. And to make matters worse, it was a Saturday, which means that all of the shops were going to close at 5. But the good news is, is that I always had in my back pocket really my best idea ever. And I never hoped to, um, I, I never hoped that I'd be in a position where I had to give this gift. Uh, but if I ever found myself in a spot like I found myself in, I could play my ultimate trump card. Wait for it, wait for it. Ballroom dancing lessons. Yeah, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> Ballroom dancing lessons, right? And so I, uh, it's a Saturday, I was running out of time and I tracked down this ballroom dancing instructor and I somehow got her cell number and I kept stalking her. She wasn't calling me back. I was not going to give up. And she said, all right. I said, no, ma'am, I need a certificate. I cannot... I cannot just say to Roseanne on her birthday, we're going to do ballroom dancing lessons. She wants to know that I put money down on this puppy, right? And so I got the certificate, and adding, adding to the ballroom dancing lessons, I got her a rose, because her name is Rose, and I also got her a box of chocolates. Why? Because every woman I know likes chocolate, right? Matter of fact, a bunch of women theologians have gotten together recently to relook at the actual food that Eve ate uh, in the Garden of Eden that brought all of humanity down, right? And they have concluded that there's no way a woman is giving up everything for an apple, right? They gave it up for a piece of chocolate. And all the women said, okay, men, you're looking at me like, uh, like you should be looking at me. You should be taking notes, right? I mean, ballroom dancing lessons, a rose, and a box of chocolates, right? This is money. This is gold. You should be writing this down, right, women? You should be writing. Because how did I do, women? Is that a good gift or not? Come on, right? 
So I gave her the certificate. We started into our uh, dancing lessons. And what I discovered pretty early on is this first principle. And that is marriage is a whole lot like dancing. Marriage is like a dance. There's a part that the man has and there's the part that the woman has. And if you ever want to be a good dancer, you can't be complaining and arguing about how your partner is doing their part. You need to focus on your part uh, in the dance. And what a shame it would be for uh, a couple to engage in arguably one of the most romantic things that you can do as a couple and then be bickering and complaining to each other during the dance, right? And the same thing is true in marriage, right? To be physically and spiritually united as one flesh and then to enter into the dance floor of life only to spend all of your time bickering and complaining and fighting about what the other person isn't actually doing. Matter of fact, you can fact check me on this. Genesis through Revelation, anytime the Bible talks about marriage, it never talks about marriage or puts marriage in the form of a right but always in the form of a responsibility. We're gonna put that on the screen so you can take note. The Bible never talks about marriage in the form of a right, but always as a responsibility. Take, for example, the passage we'll be looking at today, Ephesians chapter five. It does not say, wives, expect your husbands to love you as Christ loved the church. It does not say, husbands, expect your wives to respect you. Because the moment this becomes your MO, your modus operandi, that becomes your style of doing marriage, where you shift your focus from your responsibilities to your rights, is the moment that the beautiful dance begins to crumble. So if you want a successful marriage according to God's design, then you need to do a 180 degree turn and move away from what the world says about marriage. You need to trust God's principles and focus on your part in the dance he's given you, your responsibilities. Become the kind of person your spouse wants you to become and the kind of person you want your spouse to become. Focus on your responsibilities. Now, we're gonna begin by taking a look at Ephesians chapter five, and we're going to begin in verse 21. We're going to begin in verse 21. I'm going to put it on the screen, and I'm going to invite you to say it out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Most men, for a number of years, would always start in verse 22, which tells the woman to submit to him. But in reality, verse 21 begins by inviting us both to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And this is where a successful marriage begins. We, we submit to serve each other. We submit to serve each other by focusing on the responsibilities that God has given me. Mutual submission. Now the question is, how do you pull this off? How do you pull this off? Because I'm telling you, marriage is difficult. And pulling off these responsibilities I'm about ready to lay on to you is really hard. How do you do it? Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. If you go back just a few verses prior, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, Paul gives us the answer. He said that you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Matter of fact, he juxtaposes it to being drunk with wine. He says, do not be drunk with wine in excess. Whenever you drink too much 
of the spirits, small s, you drink too much, you lose control, and the alcohol, the spirits take control. He said, instead, I want you to be filled with the spirit. He could have said, I want you to be drunk on the spirit. I want you to take in the spirit, which basically is simply saying, God, I want your will for my life more than I want my will. Fill me up with your spirit. And when you get drunk on the spirit, capital S, the spirit, Holy Spirit, takes control over your life and leads you to a place where you now have the ability, the power to fulfill your role in the marriage relationship. Being drunk with the spirit's small s, the Bible says, leads to debauchery. And being drunk with the capital S spirit leads to blessing. That's how you pull it off. Now, with that laid as a foundation, let's begin by laying on the men your responsibility as a husband. It simply reads this way. The husband leads with love. The husband leads with love. Um, in a formal dance, I don't know if you know this or not, in a formal dance, uh, it is the man who invites the woman to dance. And he does it by doing this. And when he does this, she has the opportunity to take his hand. He initiates the dance by doing this, right? Okay, Ephesians chapter five. Now we start with verse 22. Wives, yes, submit yourself to your own husband's as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in, women say it, everything. Say it again, everything. Wait, way to go. Um, some of you are saying, that's just not fair. <laughs> Who died and left him boss? A Jesus. Why does he get to always call the shots? And I think you're reading, both the men and women, you're reading this incorrectly. It's not what this is all about. Let's continue to read and see if you don't agree. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of the body, of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Here's my point of view. If a husband were to love his wife like this, I believe the wife would be more than happy to follow. Not selfishly as a servant, but willingly laying down his life for you. Women, if a man led you like that, would you be willing to follow? Yeah, that's what you're looking for. So men, I'm gonna give you a couple of practical recommendations on how to convert this big idea of love to something super tangible. So if you're taking some notes, 
uh, uh, write these things down, and uh, there's no way I wouldn't write things down if I was sitting next to my wife right now. Okay? <laughs> um, leadership, number one, is not lordship. Leadership is not lordship. Do not use your authority to get your own way. As a matter of fact, Jesus is our model. And what did he do? Right before he went to the cross to die for his bride, he takes out a towel and he washes the disciples' feet. This is the brand of love we need to offer to our wives. It's a servant leadership, you know? Maybe women, your feet are not dirty today, but maybe men, what you need to do is wash their feet and learn to give them a mani-pedi. You know, that is what that kind of servant leadership is all about. And all the women said, amen to that. Okay, number two, uh, make decisions that will benefit her and not you. In your leadership, bend your authority to make decisions that will benefit her over you. And what you want to see happen is uh, you, you want to see the narrative changing. Say your wife goes to lunch with some girlfriends and, uh, and, and, you know, when they're at lunch, man, they are chatting, man. They are gossiping. They are talking. And, she's, and your wife says, lean in, women. I got a real problem on my hand. And they lean in, and, they say, and she says, this is what you want her to get to. I, I, my husband uh, will not make a decision for our family that benefits him. Every decision he makes always benefits me. And the kids, every single one. I can't get the man to stop. What am I going to do? He needs to do something for himself, but I just can't get him to do it. Everything is about me, 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 me. And he's just not serving himself. He needs to serve. He needs to serve himself, you know? And, um, and that's what you're looking for, right? <laughs> Women are like, okay, I like this kind of leadership, you know, right? And you're wanting that to be in the gossip. And here's the deal. Um, uh, in a dance... It is true that the man leads the dance, but the goal of the man leading the dance is not to highlight himself, no. The goal of a dance is for the man to highlight the beauty of the woman. It is not the man who gets spun around, it is the woman who does. No one's paying attention to the man. He doesn't want him paying attention to him. He wants to show off the beauty of his bride. That's the beauty of it. Now, the next thing I would say is, why don't you ask her the question, what do you need? Just ask her, what does she need? Now, one of the books that helped me uh, in early on in our marriage is a book that's still in print. You might want to check it out by a guy named William Harley called His Needs and Her Needs. And in it, he lays out the top five needs of women and the top five needs of men. This is really gold, guys. Uh, and, and I have found it to be generally true about most every woman I've ever met that these are their top five needs. I'm going to put them in the order that Harley presents them, okay? The first one is women long for affection. They long for affection. And you need to get a PhD in affection. And the reason I say this is because um, we don't show affection because affection doesn't necessarily work for us the same way that it works for them. And very seldom are you going to hear a man say to his wife, I wish we could spend more time cuddling. You know, that's just not in our DNA. But your women want you to show them affection. Number two is conversation. Yeah, I'm sorry I said it, man, but it's, the, it's in the list. And I know some of you are saying, I'd rather you stick a needle in my eye than to sit around and talk talk right but the reality is you've learned how to talk at work 
I'm just asking you to save a little in your gas tank for your wife when you come home and engage in a conversation with her. The third one is honesty and openness. Women really, really value when you're honest and open with them, they feel loved by you. The fourth one is financial support. And in many homes today, both are contributing uh, to the financial outcome um, of the home. But the reality is the wife finds security knowing that you've got this and that you take this seriously. And the final one is family commitment. Um, Family commitment. She needs you to be a good father. There's something that a woman desires, and that is for her man to be a good father. And the final category I would give you is just ask in answering this question, where are you taking her? Where are you taking her? To be intentional about the new seasons of your life and, 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 and converse with her and join in with her and figure out where she wants to go. And you have to journey through these different seasons, you know, uh, when, you're, when you have no children or maybe if God blesses you with children and you got, oh my gosh, we have teenagers now. And then what happens after the children are gone in that season? You need to provide leadership in that way, okay? Well, men, uh, I... Uh, I I tried to get through our part as fast as I could so we could focus on the women. Yeah. So here we go. Yay. Verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And here it is. And the wife must respect her husband. The wife must respect her husband. Here's an observation. The man's list of responsibilities, you know, took several paragraphs, right? And the woman's responsibility was reduced down to just six words. That's not fair, right? And to top it off, men's assignment is compared to Christ, right? Oh, come on. Why can't she be compared to Christ? That's not fair, right? No, it's not. Here's, ladies, the responsibility that God lays upon you. The wife follows with respect. The wife follows with respect. The man invites the woman to to dance. When she grabs his hand, she's saying, I will follow. The same thing is true in marriage. Now, William Harley, in his book, talks about the five needs of a man. And women, you should pay attention to this. You can Google it or purchase the book. And uh, I'm not going to cover the number one need of a man uh, in this service uh, because we have children in the audience, but I think you can pretty much guess what it might be, but maybe we could do a little Q&A after the service uh, and talk about it. But it is, in fact, what you think it is, and uh, you need to check that out because you can't go to number two without figuring out how that all comes together, right? So we won't chat about it, but it's important. Uh, the um, recommendation that we do want to talk about today, uh, I think, is number two on the list, and it is the word um, admiration, admiration. You may not know this. You may not act like it's a big deal to him. But your husband wants to know that you're proud of him. He does. He wants to know that you're proud of him. He may not act like it, but he wants it. He wants your admiration. He does. So you need to ask yourself the question, would my husband right now say that I admire him or would he say that I'm mostly disappointed in him? Mm. Now, I want to let you in on a little secret about men. 
and I'm sorry, men, to expose this little secret, uh, but the reality is, is that men move toward their competencies and they move away from their incompetencies. Now, what does that mean? If a man feels that he's good at something, he will continue to move toward it and get better at it. But if a man feels incompetent in something, he will continue to move away from it. So if you're taking notes, write this down, women. Respect him for the progress he is making. That's it. Respect him for the progress he is making. Now let me give you an example of this. Because a lot of women that I know, Christian women, would really love their husbands to step up and be the spiritual leaders of their home. They really, really would. Most women that I know who love Christ, they want their man to be a spiritual leader. And so here's how it goes. Let's say one day, inadvertently, that your husband uh, puts his hand on a Bible. And you go, oh my gosh, you are such a spiritual leader. You always have your hand on the Bible. And he's thinking, it was kind of accidental, but she's, she thinks I am. He goes, yeah, 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 I am a spiritual leader. And so he moves a step further and says, well, you think that's something. Well, hold on, I'm going to open it. And you go, oh my goodness, stop it already, you know, slow down. All the other women, they are jealous of how much of a spiritual leader you are, and maybe you should teach a class on it at church, and stuff like this. Oh my goodness, I'm such a blessed woman. And he moves into it a little further, and he says, all right, woman, sit down, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a passage. And he actually reads a passage, and you faint, you swoon for your love for him. And some of you women are saying, oh, pastor, that is manipulation. You're darn right it's manipulation, <laughs> but it works with men. And guess what? They will never figure out what you're doing. They will never <laughs> figure it out. They'll never figure it out. It, it, it. So men move toward their competency. So you got to take a little bit of, like, they're here today, right? They're here today, right? So you need to go, oh, my gosh, you know, you're the best. Because men will move toward that. Now, the question is, what happens if your husband won't take the lead? I mean, it's, it's hard to dance when the man isn't leading the dance. That's how the dance goes. Well, the Bible gives uh, two options. One is very ineffective, but it lays it out. And the other is God's design, which is a bit challenging, but it has the best chance of working. The first one, which is ineffective, comes from two uh, Proverbs that I'm going to read. Uh, the first one reads this way, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. So one of your strategies can be to, um, to just nag him into submission, you know, to nag him into leadership, and it's not going to work. This passage says, the guy's like, hey, you know that in a desert there's no water, and you're going to dehydrate and die. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather, I, I'll still choose the desert. Yeah, I'll still choose the desert. Uh, you, you know that there's scorpions out there the size of small farm animals. And if you get stung, it's going to hurt really bad and you could die. Yeah, still going to choose the desert. Yep. And if you thought this was just a one and done passage, there's actually quite a few of them. I'm going to read one more. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. I love this because the, the author here is putting the language down at Tim the Toolman Taylor. Uh, from home improvement language. It says, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in the rainstorm. You, you think you're, trying, you're getting through with him by you know, calling him to account, like you gotta get your act together and I'm gonna blah, blah, blah. And uh, you know what he thinks? Drip, 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 <laughs> drip. It's like the battery of the uh, smoke alarm that goes out at two o'clock in the morning. There's nothing more aggravating than that and you trying to nag me into Perfection, it's just not going to work. 
Okay, so that's an effective strategy. You can keep doing it. You're going to likely get the same results. I don't know of a single man that's been nagged into submission. Uh, option number two is God's plan. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is beautiful. It's beautiful. Hard to pull off, but it's beautiful. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Can I stop there just for a second? And say, it doesn't say you shouldn't. It just says that cannot be your primary strategy. So, so women, you know, it's okay to put on some makeup, and it's okay to do your hair, and, and wear some nice clothes and some jewelry. It just can't be your number one strategy. Don't think this is like doing nothing, Okay. All right, let me move on before I get into any more trouble, okay? But man, I just, don't you think I needed to say that? You know, just, hey, just by the way. Uh, verse four, rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. What's he saying? He's saying, in the event that your husband will not lead, keep up with your part of the dance. How do you do that? You invite the Lord to come in and lead you in his absence. And you do it quietly and letting the beauty of your relationship with the Lord come out of you with the hope that this is your best strategy for him to one day see the virtue of your life and be converted. I've seen it happen. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't always work. But it is your far better strategy. So uh, after the six lessons were up and my commitment was over, we decided to continue on. And we're about three months into uh, our ballroom dancing lessons when our instructor decided to take a bunch of her students uh, to the Petroleum Club in downtown Fort Worth on the top floor, and we were going to go dancing. <laughs> and so, the, uh, so we get up to the top floor, and we hear the big band playing. It was so cool, the big band's playing. And there was a, a hardwood floor laid out, a dance floor laid out, and there were people dancing, actually dancing on the floor. Do you know the average age of the couples? 80, 80, right? It's because dancing is a lost art. It is. And so we were standing on the outskirts of the dance floor. We didn't want to get on the dance floor. We're so nervous to actually get out and dance. And we were watching these older couples just dance across the floor. And one particular uh, dance was a foxtrot. And we were looking at these couples and trying to discern the mechanics of what she taught us. Slow, slow, quick, quick. Slow, slow, quick, quick. But there was this one older couple, uh, and we were catching many of the things our instructor taught us, but then there was that one move. It was amazing. And we said, what is that? So we called our instructor over, and we said, uh, what's that move right there? And she said, oh, oh, I can't teach you that. She said, that's a homemade recipe. That couple has developed that move over their life together. And we cannot teach that to anyone. And the sad thing is, is that when one of them dies, that move 
will die with them. And that's the hard thing about losing the, your mate is because over your lifetime, you develop little homemade recipes, right? And the biggest fear in your life is that one day when one of them dies, so will all of those moves die with them. It's painful. We have many people at Westside who are living that out right now. They're living it out right now. The husband leads with love. The wife follows with respect. And when they both do their part, well, a beautiful dance results.